are live on Facebook. Welcome everyone. Uh, my name is Jasmine Sandler. This is the Warrior Women in Business podcast. We are now on episode 29. And before we get started, I'm really excited. Uh, today's podcast episode uh, tails off of episode 28. For any of those, th those of you that missed episode 28, we had Tamsin Fidal, um, a best-selling author on women and relationships and uh, WPIX TV anchor for those of you here in New York who watch local television. And uh, Tamsin has just recently written a book which is just coming out uh, on transition, but it's particularly around from her journalistic background on interviewing people that have gone through transition, so life transition. So I thought a perfect guest today to tail off of episode 28 would be a, a I got to say a role model in my life as a woman in business and someone I, I really, really look up to and I had the pleasure of working with and helping to develop her brand um, in her new venture, which is really cool. Uh, Mary Wallace Yench, and she's going to get into today the entire topic of transition in a time, honestly, it's such a turbulent time of change right now that uh, women are changing at all levels and Mary's going to get into that today and how she helps women who are, you know, probably already had careers and now they're getting into that second career. So uh, before I get into that, just a couple of announcements I would like to make here at Warrior Women in Business. So for those of you that are tuning in that have never heard of Warrior Women in Business, Warrior Women in Business was started a few years ago. Um, I've been in the world of digital marketing for a very long time. And um, as a speaker in the industry, I saw more and more women looking to develop their careers and build their brands. Um, and I saw a real uh, lack of connectivity between women from that standpoint and an opportunity for them to mentor and help each other. So I started Warrior Women in Business with the mission of helping female entrepreneurs grow through the support and advice from those have, that have been there and done that, hence having Mary on today. And as part of Warrior Women in Business, we do a lot of cool things, I think anyway. Um, we I host events, including the Brand New Conference which has been put off because of COVID, but hopefully will resurge in 2021. And, um, but we move forward. Uh, so we have events, we have mentors and coaches on warriorwomenbusiness.com that you can take advantage of their brains. And we also host really interesting uh, courses, one of which is coming up uh, as of tomorrow. Uh, so I wanted to mention that we have a fashion business masterclass for any of you that have toyed with the idea of starting a fashion design line or are already in the industry and are struggling to grow your brand globally, uh, we have Tina Trevino, who is our fashion business masterclass certified warrior women and business coach, leading that uh, through three, four week sessions through the end of the year. So you can check that out. And then um, directly related to that, uh, I have personally been working with Tina, that's uh, how it all started, to start uh, an idea that I had for a fashion line. I love fashion. And so Warrior Women in Business now has uh, items. I'll be wearing one of them in our next podcast, but we're starting to design some really cool things uh, that you'll see on the website. So that's a lot of information. <laughs> um, I really want to get into today's podcast, but I just want to give those announcements. So first, I just want to say, you know, thank you, Mary, for being available and oh, thank you. Oh, Jasmine, thank you for having me. Being I'm on excited today to be here. My, my craziness of trying to get everything together today. <laughs> so um, I wanted to just give everybody a little bit of a backdrop about Mary and why I asked her to be on besides the, you know, the perfect connect with Tamsin of, as of last time. So uh, Mary, I've known for quite a while. Actually, we met through the Women's Leadership Exchange, I believe, right? Correct run by Andrea March, who's a really cool lady in the world of supporting women in business. I'll give her a shout out. Um, so I met Mary and her business partner, um, both of which have become clients of mine and I think friends and also are mentors to me. Um, and so Mary has a really interesting background. She has been in the industry of helping women, um, both from a product standpoint, which she'll talk about, as well as um, working with women's businesses to help them grow from a corporate standpoint, as well as to now what she is involved with, which is helping women, I believe, individually to help them grow their, mm -hmm. their businesses and help them with transition. Um, what strikes me about Mary, uh, well, a few things, but you know, is that to me, 
You know, we all, when we're individuals in business, I'm the first one to admit it. It's, it's difficult, it really is. And you need this kind of army of women. Um, and women have different skill sets. And what strikes me about Mary is her ability to, to keep things moving in a very um, operationally sound way. And I know as an entrepreneur since forever, that that's a real sticky point um, for entrepreneurs to move on past year three, year five. Um, and, and also uh, as they're transitioning from a former corporate career into a new venture. So um, that's a bit about Mary. I think uh, I'll start by asking you if you would to talk a little bit about, you know, your, um, geez, you know, you've been working with women and women's products for some time. And um, like, how did you talk about just share a little bit about your background in being a female partner in working with in women's products. Um, you know, a little bit about you to kind of set the stage for where you are today. Sure. Thank you. Um, probably the most important thing to know about me is that I am purely curious about other people and why they do things and how they do things. And that has sort of carved out my career. Uh, I started working for two consumer packaged goods company, one of which was Procter and Gamble, mm -hmm. which gave me exceptional training in how to ask really good questions and then how to design ways to let people answer them, right? And actually hear them. And then I spent 20 years with Rachel, my business partner. I left corporate America, transitioned to being uh, my first entrepreneurial venture. I've actually started four businesses Wow! Uh, and uh, worked about 20 years uh, with Rachel, my business partner, uh, who is still a partner in a small way with me, uh, really delivering sort of advice and insights for primarily Fortune 100 brands, um, things like Johnson's Baby and Clean and Clear and Neutrogena, a lot of J&J work, both domestically and globally, of helping them understand how to talk to their customers in ways that were motivating and persuasive, as well as how to be innovative. So what were the new directions they should take? What kinds of new products or new ideas should they offer? Then Rachel and I founded um, raised $20 million of venture capital and started a women's reproductive health business. We bought an asset out of bankruptcy the last time the world went crazy in 2008 yes. um, and built a business and ran it for about five years and sold it. And that was quite an adventure. Uh, and then my most recent initiative has been, I finished that experience and realized that in many ways, it should have been sort of the penultimate of my career. Um, you know, Rachel and I were, and Rachel speaks a lot about this more than I do, but we really spent five years trying to get the conversation about female sexuality and female sexual health and female sexual satisfaction to be common. Mm. and discovered very quickly how difficult that was. It was one of the toughest conversations and she's still working on it. Yeah. Anyway, I came out of that and decided I wanted to do something different and realized very quickly that for women of a certain age, uh, there aren't a lot of resources. Uh, and I began to encounter other women, their 40s, 50s and 60s even, who wanted to make a, uh, a pivot. They wanted mm. to do something different no matter how successful they'd been. And they didn't really know how to do that. And that's sort of what I do now. So I've had this amazing opportunity to mentor women when I was working at Proctor. Um, so I had a primarily female team and I actually am still in touch with many of those women who've gone on to have amazing careers. So that was my first experience of supporting women in transition. Um, I've had the amazing opportunity to travel around the world, listening to women in cultures all over the world, talk about things that are important to them, their families, their health, their dreams and desires. Uh, and then I've had this incredible privilege in the last five years of working one-on-one -on -one with women to sort of fulfill their own dreams and create their own legacies. Um, it's, it's, been a, a, just an incredible blessing to have those opportunities. 
Yeah. You well, want I me mean, to talk a little bit about partnerships versus solo. Yeah, I, that's what I was gonna. I was gonna talk about. I mean, obviously, you you have such a load of experience. We could go and <laughs> we could go in so many directions. I mean, we could talk about innovation. We can talk about what women go through. Um, you know, warrior women in business. We also like to support women in the homes and in their health and life. You know, because it's just a part of being a woman. <laughs> so we could talk about that. But I would like you to talk about so, certainly. Um, you know, there's always these questions around whether you should have a partner, which you shouldn't have a partner, the pros and cons of that, um, and the strength of having a female partner versus a male partner. So can you talk about your experience there for those of you? Sure. Those and my, about? I should point out that actually my first partner, my first consulting gig, which I started business was actually um, a man, a, a dear friend. So I've had partners of both genders and um, for me, uh, having a woman as a partner ended up being um, really much more effective and productive for me. Um, and I want to keep it personal because I think each of us are, are sort of yeah. our own unique people. I think, I think a lot of it depends on the kind of person you are. So I am a person who does better in dialogue, right? Bouncing ideas off of people. Um, having somebody who understands enough about what I'm thinking about or trying to create. So I generate ideas and possibilities in interaction. So for me, a business partner was essential when I made the shift from corporate to my own thing um, because I had this whole built-in infrastructure to give me that interaction and, and suddenly I was on my own. The thing I learned about partnerships, I mean, Rachel and I have been partners now for over 25 years, which is terrifying that we're both, uh, she'll be furious that I'm letting out how old we both are. But, um, it, that's remarkable. I mean, there are a lot of marriages that don't last 25 years and we laugh about that all the time. I, I think the most critical piece, two critical pieces that enabled our partnership to work as well as it did. One was, and this was based on learning from a partnership that didn't work that well. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't because I figured it out the first time, it's because I made a really big mistake and learned. Is It is absolutely essential that you and a potential partner are really clear with each other about what your business goals are mm -hmm. and what your personal goals are. The hows and the whys that you do is great, but if you aren't at least very clear, you don't have to have identical ones, but if you're not really clear yeah. about why this is important to you and why you're doing it, it messes up all of the subsequent conversations, particularly the conversations when you've hit a bump in the road or you, you know, you're facing a really difficult challenge. And Rachel and I have been through some bumps in the road and we've been through some really big challenges and we've always managed to get to a place that worked for both of us. The, and now you're gonna say, but Mary, you gave that up and now you're working as a solo, which is absolutely true. Um, and fortunately for both of us, after we sold the company, we wanted to go in different directions and yeah. we could have that honest conversation without ever feeling like one was abandoning the other or that we were disadvantaging each other because we'd had this track record of being really direct and straight with each other about what we wanted and what was important. And honestly, I yes. wanted to try a new way of doing it. So going out on my own and what I've discovered is exactly what you said. Um, the advantage of being on your own is that you can do it exactly the way you want to do it the disadvantage for someone like me is that I need a really good network of fabulous women that I can reach out to and bounce off of and that can fill in for the places. I mean, we work together because what you do is something I don't know how to do. Yeah, right. Um, and so you could support me in a way that was really critical and essential to creating my new brand. So that, there are pros and cons to both. In some ways, having a partner is a little more challenging unless you're like truly very aligned about what it is that you want to do and how you want to do it. Mm. Yeah. So question is on that. Um, so how did you come across Rachel and how did you develop this partnership? <laughs> uh, it's a great story. 
So I was, um, I was in partnership with this other man, this man, and we'd been working together for two or three years. And um, as part of our practice, I was freelancing for a marketing consulting group in Connecticut, a fairly large one. And in the course of that, um, and it was, we're talking now the mid, um, trying to think, the mid nineties, it was a pretty male chauvinistic and pretty, you know, I won't say famous or infamous, but well known that it was more a male than a female organization. There were some women, but very few. And a partner came up to me one day and said, uh, listen, we're interviewing this fabulous woman. Would you be willing to spend a little time? She's asked to talk to women that work here. Now, he never told me that he knew I was an employee. He never told me that they didn't tell Rachel he was I wasn't an employee. So we had we had this fabulous conversation. You know how you meet some people and there's just instant rapport and you have tons to talk about. Yes. And it was fabulous. Um, and she decided to take the job and she showed up for the first day of work and she's meeting everybody and she says, oh, and where does Mary sit? And it was only at that point they told her I didn't work there. Oh, but, but what turned out to be even more remarkable is that she and her husband were renting a house that was less than a mile from where I lived. Oh, wow. Yeah. So fate was sort of meant to be. So we worked several projects um, in the context of that company, realized that we worked really well together. And when she made a decision after her first child was born that she wanted to do something else, I became sort of a resource for her to you know, she was looking at other jobs. And one day she called me and said, you know, I really just want to work with you. And it was, as they say, the beginning of a great, a great partnership and a great friendship. So it was good. I love that, you know, and no, I know what you mean. You know, when you meet someone and, and you just have this sort of alignment, I think, um, I think, you know, in, in, in my experience, just with starting to build Warrior Women in Business as a real entity, when everybody knows it's pretty new, you know, Warrior Women in Business is only now really like a year old, if I look at it as an entity, whereas I've been in business for 15 years and, or more, <laughs> and um, I mean, on my own. And right. what I've found in my own experience is that with Warrior Women in Business, the more women that I meet that introduce me to more women that like want to be on the podcast or just want to be involved. I'm finding just by being open and receptive to more women and having conversations with women that I would normally not have the time to speak with, the more of those connections are happening. And the more of those connections that are happening, the more women I'm thinking, hmm, maybe they could play a role in this piece of the business because it's fairly new. So I think it's about being open and it's about you know, looking for the women that you actually can connect with instead of, you know, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, but, you know, reaching out for a traditional partner, which I've had so many of my friends or colleagues in business say, well, you should just go find a business partner. And then they give me some standard way. And it, for me, at least never, and I I did have a male business partner many years ago and it did not work out at at all. Right. And um, because I went about it a very traditional way. And I think, you know, being more open and receptive in the context of the business environment that you're in uh, seems to be a a smarter way in terms of yielding better results, right? Well, and I think you're tapping into something that there's at least a lot of conversation about, um, which is, are you going to come from a feminine energy of being open and receptive and curious and sort of let the world bring you what you need? Or are you going to operate from a more masculine perspective, which is, you know, I have a plan, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna be very logical, I'm gonna be very reasonable. And, you know, I've lived a, my, a lot of my life from the masculine perspective. Yeah. Um, there is real value if you can sort of live with a little bit of messiness to just opening yourself and being curious and interested and to your point being a little more open to what people might bring that you hadn't even anticipated um i will tell you a story that you know the 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 moment i knew that rachel and i were meant to be at least friends if not partners at that point in time was the first official project we worked on with this other company 
we had to go to New Jersey and interview. We spent two days in a conference room interviewing different people as part of the project plan. Okay. And the first day at lunch, we looked at each other and we had the option of going to the cafeteria in sort of a dingy office building. Yeah. And she said, well, you know, I noticed when we came down that there was a food store down the street. Do you want to just go pick up some food and we'll bring it back? And we said, absolutely. And we discovered total and complete food compatibility. And I don't know about any other women, but when you find somebody who eats like you do. <laughs> oh, no, it's a big, I, I'm with you. Actually, that's <laughs> No, that is so true. You know, yeah, it's funny that you say that because I want to give a shout out to Pomp and Whimsy. Oh, God, I love their gin. So they have sponsored, I don't know, like every single one of my events. Let's put it that way. And um, when I and I discovered gin because I just got I don't know, I feel like my taste grew up or something. <laughs> it's not like I drink a lot, but, you know, socially, uh, right. I really don't drink a lot because I'm a lightweight. But anyway, um, but when I found other women that, that drank gin, it was so weird. I was like, wow, you're in this special tribe and you get to know people through interesting right. things, food, drink. I, I right. actually completely agree with that one. That well, and it teaches you to be sensitive to mm. the fact that rapport happens in other parts of your experience beyond yeah. your head. Right, yeah, it's not, it's not that like, that's why I said, you know, the partnership, it can't really be, it's not, it can't really be on paper in a checkbox. Right. And I don't know if it can be, you know, so much quantified, right? You know, when you're going to buy a business or merge a business or exit a business, you know, I mean, it's kind of like this checkbox and there's, it's number based. And I don't think partnerships or women's connections and building business is a checkbox. Okay. Well, and you have to anticipate that as a partner, Mm -hmm. There are going to be moments that are really hard. Yeah. And you have to have that trust level to have a really sincere, open, vulnerable conversation. Um, otherwise, you're just going to end up in a, in a big mess that unfortunately too often ends up in court. And that's not useful for anybody. Well, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because I think that's also a lesson in being an entrepreneur someone that deals with entrepreneurs every day, you know, that I think, you know, I don't know about your experience in working with women in transition, but having them be as honest as they can in doing business with others. Otherwise you can get into issues of, I've been in them, you know, court, court issues or conflict. Mm -hmm. um, what do you have to say on that? What's your, you know, What's your well, experience? again, I think, you know, contracts are important because unfortunately the yeah. world still operates from a male perspective. Uh, so, um, and frankly, what a contract helps you do mm. is, despite the fact they're written by lawyers, don't get me started, mm -hmm. um, they are an opportunity to really talk through possible scenarios, right? The good, yeah. the bad, and the ugly. And for you at a minimum to think through, how do I want to handle this? Mm -hmm. So it's a good way to structure a conversation about a specific transaction. Um, unfortunately, it's also become the way lawyers make a lot of money. So it often gets much more involved and convoluted than it needs to be. All that said, the truth is underlying all that is if you don't have trust in each other, a contract will not fix anything, right? Yeah. You'll just end up in a conflict that has to then go to court. And then the contract really just becomes, again, the framework for the conversation with the judge. It does. You're right. Mm, that's interesting. All right. I want to shift a little bit into yep. transition and innovation. I love sure. the word innovation. <laughs> I feel like I'm innovating myself every single day. <laughs> but anyway, so <laughs> it's yeah. true. But anyway, um, so this is such a time of transition. You know, I mean, I'm so used to it. Uh, it's ridiculous, you know, change and transition. You mentioned the recession of 2008 slash nine, where the IRS knows I didn't even file for taxes because it was crazy. And I feel that these periods of transition in time, if you're in business or you're just in a career, it's just going to happen. And I think you need to safeguard yourself for through it, for it rather. And, um, you know, you need to have a plan. Um, so what, talk about, you know, 
it's there's a it's a it's a global economic shift right now. It's a socioeconomic shift right now. It's a race shift. There's so many shifts going on. Mm-hmm. So how do you talk about transition with your clients? How do you prepare them for transition? Talk about that. Well, I think what's fascinating is for most of my clients who are women that have been really successful doing something for, you know, 20 years, 20 years plus, and something happens in their life. I'm not talking about a pandemic, you know, the, the organization goes through a restructure and they don't get the job they expect. They Mm -hmm. get divorced, they get married, their children leave home. There's a health crisis. There is something that forces them sort of like this pandemic to stop for a moment and pay attention to how they're actually feeling. Are they still energized about what they're doing? Mm -hmm. And my clients often come up with the answer, no, this doesn't excite me anymore. I don't, this is de-energizing. This is exhausting. This is exhausting, right? I'm bored. I'm, you know, it isn't doing for me what it did. And interestingly for me my clients there's a lot of shame right because why yeah yeah yeah, i understand why how could this be Mm -hmm. yeah which i i think is part of what's sort of going on in some spheres around this pandemic right like Mm -hmm. if suddenly the world has shifted and we are all forced to look at what we're doing and and as importantly how we are doing it and the old answers don't work. Yeah, no. Often having nothing to do with us, right? right. It's just the world is working differently. Yeah. There's a lot of shame about how could I be this competent, smart, successful person and not make this work, right? So the first step in transition is to step back and realize that un uncomfortably we actually don't control anything (laughs) no we actually control nothing (laughs) right it's a complete illusion and when things are sort of the same all the time we get this sense that somehow we're actually in control of it that there's causality that we do this i agree yep so the first step in any transition transformation is to really let go of the sense that you are in control Mm. or that you are responsible for anything other than how you respond. Mm. I love that. So that, that, that strips away, that strips away everything that stops that, right? Because then it strips away the guilt. It strips away how you approach things and it strips away also your so-called responsibility, you know? Right. So, I, yeah. And it opens it up to, it creates a space Mm -hmm. to actually think about things differently, right? What if there actually is another way to do it? My, My biggest role is often helping people see possibilities that are right in front of their faces, but they can't see them. Because the lens they have on doesn't allow them to see it. So it's about stripping off that lens. And and so many times I have clients say to me, oh my God, there's so many, like I could go this way, I could do this, I could do that. The second is to understand that change affects each of us. There's a part of our brains that's, you know, why as a species we survive that really is uncomfortable and unhappy with unfamiliar, right? So we are designed that if something looks unfamiliar, there's a big caution sign. Like, don't don't do that. Don't go that way because we don't know if it's dangerous or not. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that it wants you to keep doing it exactly the same way. Yes, you get comfortable. Right. And And you get conditioned. Right. And Mm -hmm. the challenge is, is you can't grow, change, or innovate if you continue to just do it the same way. So by definition, I spend a lot of time with my clients saying, change is not comfortable. (laughs) Like, even if you are choosing to make the change, even if you are, you know, taking the action, it's not comfortable. And 
and we're geared to think that, you know, we'll know what the right thing to do is because it will feel right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But if we went back and looked as kids, again, we were talking about before, I have two grandsons. When you watch little kids learn new things, it's not easy. It's not familiar. And they have to do it a bunch of times oh, yeah. before mm-hmm. they figure it out. As adults, for some reason, we walk around with this idea that somehow we should be able to do it immediately. It should be easy and comfortable and familiar, even if we've never done it before. Mm-hmm. This is very true. So I'm glad you brought that up about the piece about how you know you're going the right way in transition. I think that's the, that is the scariest thing, right? For your clients, for clients I deal with, for anybody, you know? So um, can you give an example of a client that you work with? You don't have to name names, but you know, somebody that you worked with where they had that trepidation and they were able to get past that and their yeah. choices and talk about yeah. their choices to get there. So my very, very first client, mm-hmm. um, her challenge was that she ha- was a serial entrepreneur um, and she loved being an entrepreneur. Uh, she never actually started anything. She'd been part of startups. Uh, easier. Easier. <laughs> and yeah. um she was at a place where she had a job offer on the table. Ah, yes. And as a, as an entrepreneur going into a startup as the CEO, and she had gotten burned historically Mm -hmm. several times where, you know, she'd been hired with commitments to one set of compensation and had ended up with a different set of compensation. Concurrent with all this, every time she was in and out of one of these jobs, she had started a consulting business just to, just to sort of get her by between yeah, yeah. pigs, right? Yeah, yeah, I understand. So she came to me and said, I have these two possibilities. I have this consulting job that really I don't love because I'm just responding to what other people want done, yeah. but it really generates a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I have this offer on the table that's really exciting. It's what I want to do. And it doesn't offer the compensation I need. So how am I going to choose? Yeah. And this is one of those things where I have a hypothesis. I'm not a, I, I'm not a neurologist in any sense of the word, but I have a hypothesis that when we're stressed, our brains try to reduce choice down to two things. I think that would be smart of our brains to do. Right. Haywire. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that often when we reduce it to two things, we've eliminated all kinds of possibilities. Oh, interesting. Mm. Right. So it shuts down our ability to actually come up with creative new ideas and solutions. Mm -hmm. So my response to her was, well, okay, how do we, and we did a whole lot of work around sort of what really actually motivated her and made her happy. That's a whole process that I run for them so that they're much more conscious of not just what they want to do, but how they want to do it, because that's actually a much bigger piece of what makes us feel happy and fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to focus on what we do as opposed to how we do it. That's, yeah. And the truth is, is that how we do it often has, and we're learning that in this pandemic, right? Like, yes. Right. Cause we've yes. all had to change how we do it. And yes, absolutely. Some of us love being isolated in our homes and some of us don't. And yes, of course. Right. So yes. it changes the whole experience anyway. So we spent first optimizing. My question to her is why is your consulting business only about responding to what people ask you for? Hey, that's a good question. Okay. What if you designed your consulting practice so that you actually were working on things that were interesting to you? And what, how can we structure an offer for the the job that meets your needs? Mm. And let's look at sort of what responses you get. And what was interesting was her initial path ended up actually working on developing the consulting business in a way that made her happy because the people didn't respond to the job offer that would have made her happy. And six months later, she got the perfect offer. Wow. 
for a CEO job that she's still doing seven years later that she could structure to make her happy, you know, to be the job in which she was doing it the way she wanted to do it. So again, just, just getting conscious, first of all, never accepting that there's only two options. Okay, if your brain yeah. has gotten you to there's only two options, you need yeah. a different process to help you realize that there's always infinite options. And there's at least two other good ones. Um, I always say that to my clients, if you've gotten to two, there's always at least two other ones that are equally as good. And the second thing is to understand that the better you get at what it is that makes you happy, the more often those opportunities show up. Yeah. So my, you know, when I talk to people in transition, I'm like, first give up any thought that you control any of this. The only thing you control. That's a beautiful one. Yeah. You only control how you respond except that as much as we would like it to be different, change is uncomfortable. If you are feeling uncomfortable, you are doing the work you need to do to make the change. That's a good signal, not a bad one. And, and uh, let me ask you, so when, when someone's feeling uncomfortable, how do they, when you talk about choosing that response, which you've talked about a few times, so how do they mentally choose a response that's not going to hurt them when they're going through that uncomfortable so what I say is follow right? your, yeah, follow your curiosity. Okay. Yeah. Curiosity is one of the easiest ways to discover what actually your path might be. So most of us are trained to, you know, I'm going to pick a path. I'm going to set milestones. I'm going to have a goal. Right. A very male. Okay. Very male approach. Yes. <laughs> very oh, I know. straight line. I do right? have a boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, we're going to do it this way. Right. I'm like, really? Can't you think outside of the box, please? So another way to <laughs> no think about Right. No. Yes. But, but another, it's important to have both perspectives. Yes. Another mm. way to do it is to say, what am I curious about? Mm. And what if I took one action to learn more about what I'm curious about? And if I'm still curious, I will take another action. And if I'm still curious, I will take another action. And suddenly several things have happened. One, I'm getting very energized pursuing something that actually is intriguing and interesting to me, Absolutely. which is always- and that, a, that gives you the energy you need, yeah. Right. Second, you're getting smarter about it. So you have more visibility on how you might navigate through it in a way that's meaningful to you. Third, you're meeting other people who have a shared interest. It's where we were a few minutes ago, right? Mm -hmm. You found a community yeah. that likes to drink gin, right? <laughs> you found a community. And often when you're doing a pivot, you know, like in a, in a job, yeah. you don't have a network. No. So you have to build a network. Yeah, I mean. Right? And Well, that's and, what I'm trying to do. <laughs> right. And a lot of people will say to me, well, I hate networking. And I'm like, okay, yeah, so, right. Mm. So be curious. If you are learning about something that interests you, you will naturally be attracted to people that share the same interest. Yeah, absolutely. So you're not networking, you're building a community, a network that will create opportunities you can't see or even be aware of at this point in time. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it takes this much action initially. Oh. Right. So you don't I like to, that. Right. It's <laughs> yes. It's get off the. I laugh all the time. I'll be sitting on my sofa. I know I should walk. Should always a big danger signal. Should, so, should yeah. and try are the two worst words, I think, personally. And and literally with <laughs> you can try this, you know, take something you should do. Yeah. Put it, put it in your head. Laundry. <laughs> and 20 within 20 to 30 seconds your brain will come up with seven reasons why it's not a good idea right now <laughs> so is my that the truth yeah. is it not the truth if you don't want to do something right so oh my solution to that is i never say i should walk i say sit up mm. okay put your shoes on open the outside door. And by that point, you are moving, right? Yeah. You're walking. Motion. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have to argue with my brain of whether this is a good idea or not. Yeah. So 
take small cumulative actions. Yeah. I mean that, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, making a transition in a career or making a transition. A lot of the clients that I work with are going to start a business and I'm doing entrepreneurial coaching. It's a big change. And I always, it's funny in my work, like I have a couple of clients now and I don't even take them on. I asked them and I said, well, what's your real goal? Because they're so quiet about it. Oh, I just want to build my brand. I'm like, no, you know, I, I'm a no BS type of person. So I say, what's your real goal? Well, I'm thinking I might leave this company because they're, they're concerned. It's a big, big change. And I say, okay. And I, oh, my answer is let's do something microscopic. Right. Because right. if you do something microscopic and you focus in on that, then you can get to the next level. Right. right. And that's kind of what you're, what you're saying. Um, so in that, I love what you have to say. I, I love the piece, uh, you know, about, about having more opportunities than you realize. I think a lot of people get stuck in that. So in that, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about personal innovation and how you, how do you look at innovation? You know, cause innovation is a traditional corporate word, right? So, but how do you look at innovation from a personal perspective, from a career development perspective? Yeah. So I was really, really fortunate that five years ago when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized I was in this conundrum of, yeah. I knew how to pick a goal, build a plan, set benchmarks and go. None of which works if you don't know where you're going. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Right? <laughs> and so then you're in this terrible stuck of, well, how can I make a plan if I don't know where I'm going? And yeah. how do I figure out where I'm going without a plan? Like, it's just, there's no way out of it. And there's a set of tools that I was introduced to, not for this, but for sort of corporate innovation that was developed probably 10 years ago now at Stanford University. And it's been really developed at the business school at the University of Virginia. And it's been used by a lot of corporate people and it's language that many people are familiar with. It's called design thinking. Design thinking, okay. And it yeah. was developed to come up with an alternative way for innovation. So a lot of innovation, particularly in corporate, started with, you know, figure out the unmet need and take what you know and make a new solution. Again, a very straight line. Yeah, right. This mm -hmm. is where I'm going. I'm going to solve this problem. Okay. Design thinking starts in an entirely different place. It starts with what is the current experience? And where are there opportunities to improve that experience? And what are the problems we have to solve to improve those experiences? So I'll give you a for example. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, there was a, 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 a design thinking project done in Belgium. Uh, the agency, the government agency that delivered meals to seniors realized that most seniors barely ate any of the food that they gave them, right? Because mm -hmm. it would be like meals on wheels. It would be delivered. Okay, it's it. all run through the government. And so they had a hypothesis that the foods weren't the right kinds of food or that, you know, there was something about the foods. So they, they hired a design thinking team to go in and look at what was going on. And what the design thinking team came back and said is it has nothing to do with the food. These people are living in their homes by themselves. The part of the process they like is the visiting yeah. of the people who are delivering the meals. Ah, uh, right. So don't change the meals. It's not the meals. Create a, a, a service that allows people to spend 20 minutes to 30 minutes with each person they deliver to because ah. that's the experience. So the innovation happened around how it was done as opposed to the specific thing that was actually delivered. So when I work with my clients, I say to them, we're not gonna start with what you do or what you want to do. Mm -hmm. We're gonna start with when you're doing this amazing new thing, whatever it is, how do you want to feel? Uh and we create, we use some of the design thinking tools to create a list of 
what will be essential in that experience for them to feel good? And then we take their interest areas, their skills and experience, and those design criteria, and we generate ideas. And what happens, of course, mm-hmm. is that, I mean, I just, I had, a, I have a client right now. She's, a, she's wonderful and she's really smart and capable. And she's, she's been in sales for Xerox. She's currently in sales for relocation, which needless to say is an industry that's a little bit no, gee. Depressed at I the don't moment. Even know what's going on with that? Right, and so <laughs> she's looking. You know, she's looking for a transition, and yeah. we did. We went through the whole thing, and we laid out some really cool things. And the second conversation we had, she said, she said, you know, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think I want to sell high end cars. I love high end cars. I'm like, I don't think that's you're cool. crazy at all. Like, <laughs> that's really cool. But it had never occurred to her that she could take something that she really enjoyed. Yeah take her skills and her experience and create a job opportunity yeah stuff that i think innovation happens when you give yourself the chance to look at the problem from a different vantage point yeah and also looking at from another vantage point and i like that you talk about looking at as an experience not just what do you do and what do you want to do and what did you do um Yes. And innovation, you know, is, it's also kind of tying it into that feeling, right? Tying it into the feeling of, well, you like this, like, you know, we're launching this fashion brand. And the reason why is because I was talking to Tina, I said, you know, I have this really killer idea for a fashion brand. I actually used to own a a dog clothing company. You don't even know that about me, but anyway, (laughs) I've done so much stuff. So, um, so I said, well, she said, well, while you could make this part of your current experience and it is looking at that. And, and every day that I have the chance to work on that, I'm really energized because it's just, it's just a, a small, like you said, it's a small shift within a current framework. It's really interesting. And a lot of women out there, I think, can benefit if they're in the transition and they, like you had said, maybe they're uncomfortable because they've been in a job for 20, 25 years, right? And now is, I think, a good time for women to think about what they what they enjoy. Like, I've always wanted to do something in fashion, right? right. And I never, I don't have a background in it. So, you know, you can, this is a good time to innovate. And like you said, look at that skill set and see how can that skill set be used in the innovation. Right. So I think Well, that's- and the truth is, is most of us are pretty, everything has changed so much yeah. that everybody's feeling uncomfortable anyway. So if you're <laughs> going to feel uncomfortable, so anyway, at least focus on creating some opportunities that, and people say to me, how do you, to your point, how do I know that I'm not making a mistake? Yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. like, if you feel energized, mm-hmm. if you feel excited if you are curious and and pursuing that curiosity you are on the right track i don't know exactly where it's going to take you but you are on the right track oh yeah i mean that that's it i mean that the energize and yeah i mean transition is a good thing innovation is a good thing it's how it's how businesses have thrived you know anybody I always go back to grad school and I always bring out case studies. It has nothing to do with social media. And I don't, you know, just, it has to do with innovation. It has to do with, like you talked about curiosity and transition. Right. Um, so, so when we, um, I just want to know if you can give a couple of tips to women that are approaching change right now. Yeah. What are like two, you know, just a couple of tactical things because, you know, so, you've given great information. A lot of it is strategic, right? Yeah. We're both strategists. So just like, so a couple of tactical things a woman can do if she's considering approaching change. Like, for example, the woman that you introduced me, I had a conversation with her and I realized that she wants to change, but she's not ready for someone like me yet because she has to decide what her brand is going to be about, see if she wants to commit to it, right? So what are a couple of things a woman can do if she's thinking, wow, you know, Mary's right. I shouldn't be afraid. I should go after this, but I don't, I don't really know what to do. So we're a couple of things. Well, I think the first thing to start with is 
to start being much more conscious of where your curiosity leads you. Mm. Okay. So most of us are not comfortable without Mm -hmm. a plan. Oh, yes. So I will often tell my clients, keep a little journal for a week of all the things that make you smile and all the things that you casually Google. Casually what? Google. Right. That you are motive. You're motivated to. Oh, my God. This is such a fun exercise. I think everyone needs to do this. I'm going to send this out afterwards. Okay, so you just and just get yourself a little place, either keep it electronically or write it down just for a week. Okay. anytime you smile. Anytime you find yourself doing a search that has nothing to do with a task. It's just you're curious. And when you get done at the end of the week, stand back and look at, is there a pattern? Is Uh, there a set of topics or questions or areas of interest? And then the next step is to say, what am I curious about and how could I get more information about it? Can I talk to somebody? Can I take a course? Can um, Can I read a book? Like what's Ah. one more action I could take to pursue this curiosity? Because often that's a way that that part of us that feels unexpressed is trying to be heard. But we're being so logical and so task driven that we miss the signal. So that's my first thing is curiosity. If you if you're feeling like you don't know what direction to do, just yeah. Give yourself some space to pay attention to what makes you curious. Okay. The, the second one is to, to understand that if you are feeling exhausted and de-energized. Yeah. And can't imagine that you have the energy to make the change. Ah. Right? A- Which a lot of people will say to me, hmm. I just, I'm so exhausted. How am I going to have the energy to make? But can I ask you a question? Yeah. This, this is actually really important. So um, do you think they're exhausted from stressing out about making the change or exhausted from doing what they were doing before that they weren't happy with? It's, it's just such an important question. Yeah. It's they're bored. Right. And yes. Mm-hmm. doing what they've been doing the same way they've been doing it is exhausting. <laughs> yes. Okay. And mm-hmm. so they have to recognize that that exhaustion is a signal to try one small thing that will feel a little unfamiliar, but will get them back into exploring new. So think about it this way. The front of our brains mm-hmm. love to learn new things. That's yeah. what energizes us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The part of our brain that wants to keep us safe wants us to keep doing it the same way. So it is a tension yeah. between feeling familiar, comfortable, and bored and unenergized and feeling uncomfortable, stimulated, and learning new things. So yeah. if you are feeling bored and stuck and exhausted, Find some place in your life that you can try something small, non-threatening, that's different. Minimum, drive home a different way. I mean, just oh, find yeah. Yeah. places in your life that you start to stimulate the front of your brain and the energy comes back. You don't wait for the energy. You yeah, actually no. create the energy. Okay. And most people don't realize that. They keep waiting for when they're going to have the energy to look. So those are my two. If you are approaching, thinking about a transition and it's feeling really hard or you're feeling really stuck, those are two ways to sort of activate being able to take the next step. Okay, then the last question I have, I'm checking Facebook to see if there's any questions. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the last question I have for you is, is related to that. So if, uh, if someone starts to make, cause a transition can be scary for a number of reasons, but I would dare say a transition can be very scary from a financial perspective. And I don't, they, I don't want to ignore the big elephant in the room today that the economy is going through, a, we're going through a time that is so scary yep. from a financial perspective that people you know, to make a transition that they might not be able to afford, afford their 
their, you know, their lifestyle. Um, so how do you have advice for women that, are, you know, like you said, they start to make a change in, in a direction, but maybe it's not making money yet. How do they transition out of something that's paying them into right. something that's not paying them? Right. How much time do you think that they should give themselves or any pointers on that? That is such a major issue right now with everyone I talk to. Right. So, can you talk so about I think that? the first thing you have to do, and I do this with a lot of my clients, is before you start figuring out what you're going to do, figure out what you need. So what's your real nut? Okay, because most people don't really know what their real nut is. If you want to live where you're living, if you want to have certain amenities, really figure out what that looks like on a monthly basis. And for most of my clients, it's 50 to 60% less than they think they need. Yeah. Okay. So they, when they look at the flexibility they have, depending on your specific financial situation, the first step is like eliminate the uncertainty, like figure out what it is you really need to live Yeah. Mm -hmm. and Funny. figure out what you need to live for six to 12 months. What's six the nut? Mm -hmm. okay. okay. Because unless you do that, it is going to just be. Yeah. You have, you have to have a budget. Oh right. <laughs> well, How and, could you and, live without a budget? Yeah, well, but I know myself, you know, when I get really anxious about it, I literally put a spreadsheet together. And even if the news is ugly, I feel better because at least I feel like I know what is. Yeah, and, me too. Mm -hmm. And I can start I can start generating possibilities of how, what other sources of income can I create? Because I know that I need this much, not because I have some idea that I'm not gonna have enough. Okay. Okay. So that's the first thing, like just figure it out. And then look at, could you work part-time at what you're doing now to give yourself the time and space and survive? Yeah. Okay. Are there ways to allocate 20% of your time to this new opportunity and do it with other people, volunteer, get involved with an organization that's giving mm. you training and access to contacts without having to, the truth is, is there's a hundred ways to do it. <laughs> but most of us again, get fixated on, I either have to continue what I'm doing or I have to jump off a cliff and do this. Yeah. Right. Take all this risk. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's, there are always at least 20 other possibilities. And so if you find yourself there, figure out your nut, sit down with two or three friends, colleagues, people who are really good idea people mm. and brainstorm a variety of ways that you can start down the path and without having to jump off a cliff. Mm. I love it. That that's really, really helpful, you know, because it, it, it certainly gets like that, you know, because you're going into a new world and you might love it. I mean, the Google search, I, I love that you said that because, you know, I, I'm a musician on the side and it's, it's my, it's my love. And I find myself studying music theory until three in the morning, every night. I don't care. I just, it's my time and I know it's what I love, you know, and I try to bring in music, you know, to warrior women in business. Right. And um, so, yeah, I mean, these things are important. You got to do what you enjoy, but do it in a way that's logical. So, so I, I love this journal idea and I'm going to put that out there to the audience cool. to, to try that. I also um, think, you know, that having some type of group, session through warrior women in business for you to help you know if you're interested lead oh, something would love because i think you're just such an excellent facilitator and um you know it's not a one and done and it, sometimes it's hard for women to do it on their own so i if you're open to that you know i can put a poll out and see who might be interested if you're if you're listening right now and watching right now and you're interested in having mary lead something for the group uh just let us know we're happy to put some you know i I, I'm happy to help put something together. I think that might be really interesting because um, you've given, I mean, it's already four o'clock. We don't have any <laughs> questions, but people usually send questions later. So sure. 
completely fine. Um, and I think that could be a next step for us. Perfect. I, I would love to do that. Okay. Great. Would love okay. to do it. So I want to, we're up on four o'clock. Um, so for those of you that uh, RSVP'd for this, we're going to be sending you something. For those of you that just, you know, maybe you just tuned in or tuned in for a few minutes and you have some questions, feel free to shoot over an email to info at warriorwomenbusiness.com with any feedback, any questions for Mary, I'm happy to pass that along. Um, and I wanna thank Mary for her time, energy, and making us all feel more comfortable about transition, change, and innovation in a time where it's like you said, Mary, it's, it's just, it's necessary. Right. And it's necessary and if you ignore it, you're gonna get lost in the dust. So, I mean, I really hope that people uh, really take advantage of the, you know, the years of experience and solid experience that Mary has. Um, so we're gonna be um, editing this and this will be available on Warrior Women Business Apple, um, as well as, you know, Spotify and SoundCloud and all of our other channels. Um, and again, Mary, I really wanna thank you. This has been uh, just a really, I've learned so much today. <laughs> You're so, most welcome. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Um, and I'm sure we'll have you back and I'm sure we'll have you facilitate something. Uh, if not offline, certainly online. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, my dear. Sounds good. All right. So this is Jasmine Sandler, again, signing off for Warrior Women Business. Again, we have a fashion masterclass coming up. We have a new fashion line coming out. We have other programs all at warriorwomenbusiness.com. If you're interested in being a podcast guest, reach out to us through the website. And I hope everyone enjoyed today. Have a wonderful week. Signing off.